across the desert, journeying from many other ages and worlds. This is the Cavern Today Topside, Episode 4, for November 2008. None of our fans need to be told that the path of an Urufan has never been one which was easy to maintain. Consequently, the path of an Urufan podcast production is fraught with even more challenges. It's no small thing to encounter and overcome the many comings and goings of Uru, its fans, interested production staffers, and even the longtime Mist and Uru stalwarts. The Cavern today has persevered out of a love for a game company staffed by real people who have brought forth the most puzzling, immersive games the industry has ever seen, and consequently, the most cerebral and interesting fans in all of computer gaming. We've continued because this community has been worthy of our best efforts, and you will always have our best efforts whenever a podcast is produced. Mist is a gaming series has been brought to us by Cyan, expanded on slightly by Presto Studios and Mist 3, and further expanded upon by Ubisoft Montreal and Mist 4. While Presto Studios decided that adventure games were on the decline, and therefore they would leave the marketplace on a high note with Mist 3 Exile, Cyan Worlds kept the faith and attempted something no one had done before. They took an adventure game and made it a massively multiplayer experience. The wisdom of this movement is something debated at length in our TCT talk in this podcast. The tragedy here is not that Uru failed. Uru was given its chance. Some might argue that it was given more chances than it should have. Others would argue it was given less of a chance than it deserved. Whatever the case, it seems clear that hard times are on the horizon for Cyan Worlds, and we at the Cavern today wish the people at Cyan Worlds the best, and hope that this economic downturn makes a major U-turn, granting a better future for them, Mist, and Uru. So for our good as well as yours, we have brought forth this, our fourth topside podcast, wherein you will find a lavish and lengthy TCT talk, a piece from our staff composer Jeff Wise, and finally, a Moog thought. We hope you enjoy Topside 4, where there is indefinitely more. You're listening to TCT Talk, our roundtable chatterbox about the goings-on in Cavern, or perhaps the goings-on not in Cavern, as Mill hasn't started or Moore hasn't started. Here we are with our ragtag little group. Uh, it's me and Miles and somebody else. can't remember his name. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for the first time in forever, we have Miles from South Africa, who is staying up way past his bedtime to join us. Yeah. Yes, from, from an incredible half-past midnight here in uh, the southern tip of Africa. You call that way past your bedtime? Oh, no. Of course not. Good. I wouldn't think you're a college student otherwise. Yeah, here, my (laughs) my bedtime is like 9 o'clock because it is midnight in Michigan. Uh, Yeah, you're you're an old man. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're you're right behind me, so don't worry about it. So, our first talking point here is the uh, approval for the missed movie. Uh, What does that mean to uh, Cyan and the movie? I think it's a pretty big deal. We've heard... Over the last, I don't know how many years of various attempts to get a missed movie really into the works, and this is the first one that's actually got some sort of Cyan Worlds involvement or at least acceptance. So, yeah, it, it really looks positive for the first time. Well, they had a, an attempt at a, a TV show through uh, Sci-Fi, and Sci-Fi's been doing a lot of original stuff. I think their first major thing they did is they picked up Babylon 5. So mm-hmm. they've been seeing some success with doing that kind of stuff. I think the problem ended up being that 
they wanted to take some creative license with Mist that Cyan did not approve, and Cyan yeah. held the uh, exit clause that said, if you change it, we don't have to do it, and then that's what they did. Yeah, I the uh, creative license was quite uh, extreme. And that's the same thing happened with the comic book. They they got the names wrong, and Cyan wanted them to fix it, and they wouldn't do it, so it didn't go Oof. further past the first issue, I think. I don't know. I didn't really know of the comic book. Also, uh, uh, Penny Arcade did a comic, which actually looked pretty good. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, cartoonized, whatever. But you know, mm-hmm. for those in, in our forums, I, I I did a I linked to a Penny Arcade Star Trek comedy thing. How they talk about the Star Trek MMO. Yeah. <laughs> if you want some idea of, of what the, their flavor is like, if you haven't seen it before, it's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. I guess Cyan finally signed off the rights. Like it's it's all into the team. What, what's the name of the team again? Uh, the Mysterious. Oh. Yeah. Uh, from what I read, they basically gave them a clean. You have complete rights to uh, go at this how you like to get it published. The difficulty is that they've only really been given permission to shop this around to studios to try and get it picked up. And yeah. from what I've seen so far, these guys are absolute perfectionists and really talented at what they do, and they're going to need a, a crew to match that. And given the current economy and, and things like that, I'm, I'm concerned about studios wanting to pick up on a risky project like this. In a similar note, there was um, a project going at Warner called Grayskull, which is going to be a good adaption of the Masters of the Universe to the movie, where like all the camp and the comedy is taken out, and it was turned into like a serious, epic story. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, it died on the vine. The, the CEO of the project left, and the economy is shaping the studio of what they're doing further, so a lot of that has been trimmed. So I, I echo that particular sentiment. Yeah. And another thing is the studio is going to want to do what the studio wants to do. And once again, mm-hmm. that may not be what Cyan wants to do. <laughs> I think the fact is that Cyan has signed off on this version of the script and they're, they're happy with that. And uh, right. <laughs> I think it, when they shop this around, it'll be with the proviso that the script has to remain probably <laughs> sort of 98% intact. Yeah. Hollywood studios don't like that. Have you... Um, <laughs> Either of you know who Kevin Smith is? Kevin Smith. The name sounds familiar, but I wouldn't recognize who it is. If you've heard the show or the movie Clerks or Mallrats, uh-huh. he's the guy that we always hear of called Silent Bob. He's essentially the oh, writing. Oh, okay. Yeah, guy. yeah. And I guess he was given an, an a, a, uh, opportunity to write the script for Superman before Superman Returns was really happening. Um, they had many different Superman projects occur. One of them was headed up by Tim Burton. He was invited to the producer's house after he finished his, you know, first write-through of the script. And this producer said, you know, you and me, we, we get Superman because we're from the hood. Obviously, you have to be from the hood to get Superman. <laughs> and so, like, like he didn't want he didn't want to see Superman in the costume. He didn't want to see Superman flying or saving people while flying. He wanted the costume to be changed because the costume was, quote-unquote, too gay. And he wanted a big spider added to the script. <laughs> and uh, so this is an example of what, once a producer gets on the project, the kinds of stuff they can just decide they want to change. Yeah, And so this, is, this that's the kind of development hell that they go through. And on, on a related note with this particular producer, apparently he... Um, he later produced a movie called Wild Wild West, and uh, Kevin Smith saw it, and he's like, oh, this movie's terrible. Holy hell. And uh, at some point, he's like, there's a big, giant spider in the movie. <laughs> so the producer sorry, was obsessed with seated giant spiders. <laughs> Hollywood in is a case, crazy place. Uh-huh. It is, and that's, that's why I can see the kind of uh, the benefit they would have 
getting the movie made, it would definitely help Cyan in many ways. That, oh yeah, including Absolutely. getting Mist back into the the con- public consciousness again and make people and people wonder why it's, more development hasn't occurred. Maybe get more funds mm. thrown their way. But yeah. do either of you get kind of the feeling that maybe it's it just passed its prime? Maybe there's there's nothing to help it. Well, I guess maybe that's something we should get to later. Make yeah, a we we'll be talking about that. So, I missed. Mist is coming to the iPhone. Anybody excited? Yes. Not really. Yeah. You know, as an iPod Touch user, I'm excited. As a South African resident that can't get games on the uh, on the App Store, I'm not that excited. Uh, <laughs> I think it's exciting to see Cyan implement the game on a mobile platform with the sort of PC, uh, pocket PC version and the Nintendo DS version. They haven't been directly involved. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the Cyan guys can put together because they obviously have a a fit and finish quality that you don't get from some other publishers. That's true, but still, it's Mist again, and I've played through Mist a lot. I, I love Mist as a game, but it's still just Mist mm-hmm. again. You know, if if they would put Riven on there, then I would get excited. Oh yeah, that would that would be interesting. Another but thing I, that would be interesting would be them to do real Riven. <laughs> oh. Well, we we know that's just a pipe dream. I know, too much content. But Mist made it to the Palm platform, didn't it? Mm. I don't know if it made the Palm. I know that they eventually made a pocket Windows... PC. Yeah, Pocket, pocket PC. PC. Okay, so... Windows, but Windows Rib- Ribbon never made it there, though. It seems like they peter yeah. out once they get the Ribbon. I think they did get Ribbon onto Pocket PC, to be honest. Are you sure? Ribbon, Pocket PC, yeah. I'm going to check, because I don't believe you. <laughs> I'm, hit, I'm on the Cyan World's website right now. Aha! He got you. You see it? But you know what the thing is? I mean, I don't know if any, either of you have used Windows Mobile. Anthony, you don't have to answer. Uh, but, I mean, let's face it, Windows Mobile is a shocking platform. And, and Pocket PC was even worse before it. I, I just would not want to play these games on, on any sort of Windows Mobile platform. Um, for the first time, a platform like the iPhone may possibly be a viable platform. A lot of people grew up with Mist and kind of ditched it in the late 90s. And now, I don't know, maybe it costs a dollar or two on the App Store, maybe even four or five dollars. The thing about the iPhone and the iPod Touch is that it's convenience computing. You're sitting somewhere waiting for a bus, waiting for uh, a flight. So you pop open Mist and you, I don't know, you just play five or ten minutes. It's great to have it with you. I know when I'm sitting on a bus on my commute, I would absolutely love to pop open Mist and just sort of mess around with it. And I think... With Cyan doing it, not only will it get them kind of noticed because you know it's a big name, regardless of the fact that it's sort of kind of outdated these days, and if they can make a little bit of money off it, I think we might see Cyan expanding, as you say, towards Riven and, and getting some of the other games. I mean, can you imagine Exile in full 360-degree view on the iPhone? That would be absolutely yes, stunning. Yes, awesome. Yeah, the, the ra- problem with getting something like Exile is I don't believe Cyan has the rights to it. Well, that that is the problem. I don't know if it, if they do or do not have the rights to it, but I thought that the rights fell to them at some point. So I don't know. As far as I knew, the rights to anything that they didn't develop themselves were not going to fall back to them. It's their franchise. It may be their franchise, so, but I think they signed the rights well, away. But I don't know no, for I sure. Know, I know they didn't sign the rights away I, because I know that there is some, some kind of thing where something rolled back to them at some point. So they, the end result may be that Ubisoft, who is the the publisher may not be able to do anything with it without science say so. Yeah, maybe. But, but anything that gets money into science pocket will probably be good. Yeah. So let's let's move on to the meat of the sub the, the discussion. Oh, yeah. Oh it- more is suspended indefinitely. Uh, now I know in- indefinite means not. indefinite means indefinite, as in there's no definition of when this ending 
has occurred or if it is going to be permanent or whatever. But indefinite always sounds to me like uh, done, like dinner. Yeah, for many publishing projects or development projects, indefinite hold typically means development hell, which means you're probably not going to see it. Oh, yeah. It's Duke Nukem forever. I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen. And, and it's a euphemism of keeping your community partially happy. Uh, meanwhile, just saying it's over. And they said, I think they said, if, if funds become available, they'll pick up on it. But no, they said well, if funds become available, they will look into it again. As as is often the case with this kind of stuff, uh, <laughs> you can't help but start thinking about what what went wrong and why it went wrong with Uru yeah. when something like this occurs. I think Cyan's been on shaky ground for too long of a time where Uru has been concerned, and it is my opinion that, that regardless of what we think of Uru, whether we like it or not, whether we love it or don't, that Uru is almost single-handedly the reason Cyan is where they are now. Well, they, they projected where the where the bird was going, and they shot, and they missed, and the bird is still going, and that's one of the problems is the long development cycle for yeah, and also the changing desires of the community surrounding gaming. Yeah, well, you're absolutely well, right. Yeah, go ahead, Miles. You know, after Riven in thanks, Anthony. After 1997, they had this huge bank account of profit they'd made off Mist and Riven, and they sat down and went, "We have all this cash. Let's do something completely new." And they spent six years working on a game. I mean, that's unheard of in the industry. And they literally just sat working on that. They handed off Exile to Presto, and, and they just kept working on, well, first Dunny in real time. Well, I and think Exile going to Presto was the same thing as like when George Lucas re-released the, uh, the original trilogy. I think mm-hmm. both of those were revenue generators. And maybe yeah. possible to help um, to keep the mind share going. Because otherwise, this would have gone out of the public consciousness for how many years before Uru finally came out? Yeah, six. You do get the impression when you play Uru and and uh, look around the internals of it. I'm computer science student, so I enjoy a bit of hacking of the the PRP files and all these things that are in Uru. And you really do get a wow. This is so late nineties um, when you look around it, and and I think that may or may not be something. Uh, to do with the slow development we saw last year in Mist Online Uru Live. I mean, they really are just dealing with an old, old system that they are just trying to hold together to to keep a game going. And I think when they looked at it with a small development team, I mean, they can't have been more than two or three guys working on more. They just thought, this is actually not going to happen. Yeah, part of the problem was they were trying to figure out how to develop it as they were developing it. They had no real experience in anything they were doing when they yeah. started with uh, Uru. I'd- 3D in order to just do 3D. Mm-hmm. They had to buy an engine. They were trying to figure out how to do networking code. They, too many things were being learned on the fly for them to be able to do it quickly or effectively. When they started, they were on the cutting edge. The whole MMO concept actually had not been flushed out by World of Warcraft by that point. That's true. So if they could have caught it sooner, they would have probably done better. But here's the trick, though. First off, it takes a lot of money to get an MMO off the ground. I mean, it's, there's a long time where it doesn't make money. But you have to keep mm-hmm. pushing money into it before it finally yeah. yields results, which a lot of companies just don't have the patience for. Uh, Ubisoft, one of them. I think yeah. also, if you see any early renders from the game, the 3D stuff, even with full textures and everything, you see that they obviously had to refresh at some point because the polygon count and the people were in like the 30s at some point. Mm-hmm. And between that, those renders that I've seen and what they have today, there's a drastic change. At some point, some things are reset. And there's some signs mm-hmm. of stuff that did get reset. If you know, if you remember the library, there's that horrible texture on the ground that looks like it's designed for a much smaller object, but it's just blown up to mm-hmm. this huge size. I think 
goodness gracious, couldn't you have fixed that somewhere along the line? And well, if you look uh, at all the Easter eggs, if you look at all the Easter eggs included in, uh, I think it was either Real Mist or Mist Masterpiece Edition, where they had those sort of videos of the first view of Donnie in real time. I mean, that was all mm-hmm. running in Plasma One, kind of interim development version between Plasma One and Two, when they went up to Plasma 2.0 for the first uh, prologue of Urulive, uh, there were a lot of changes, and they made a lot of engine changes, because Plasma 1 was just the engine as it had come from Headspin. Yeah. And the difficulty is that those engineers that they acquired through the, the Headspin purchase um, have all since left Cyan and had left Cyan before Mist Online Urulive. So you had a team of developers that were working with an engine that they hadn't designed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, in my experience of... Uh foreign coding working for the Department of Corrections, we get this database where they the database came from Sybase. You know anything about databases? Sybase is a small player in the in the field. They're oh, yes. a fraction of a third of a half of all of the databases written out there. And the database was not written for us. It was adapted for us, which is to say that we kind of, which you end up putting in names and addresses two and three times to satisfy the various tables that are connected in this database. But the flip side is we used to have these patches that would come down. They said they started, they hard coded it. They said, once you reach 30 fixes, a milestone is reached, you have to release it. Because they tried this one time and they released 300 fixes all at once and it broke all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and so anyway, at some point they decided to cut funding, which is lovely because the database was the bread and butter of the departments, how they manage offenders, how they, how they reflect the sentencing of offenders, how they send offenders to other services and what have you. And they cut Sybase loose. Sybase was the company that gave us the database. The shocking thing is things got better when we started going with in-house programmers. Hmm. So it's not its not always the kiss of death getting rid of the company that, that originated the source code. Um, That's to wit, I think, I think that MIST-5 was an exemplary example of what they could do with the Plasma Engine. Uh, if, if they could have done MIST-5 code on the network for MMO, it would have been great. Hmm. Yeah, but the fact was... Yeah, MIS-5 and Uru were two separate projects, so they could clean out a lot of the stuff from the Plasma Engine they were having issues with in MIST-5, especially the no, net no, code. I won't say MIST-5 is perfect, because initially, like the hardware I had at the time, a, a 3.4 gigahertz Pentium 4 and a G4 6800 GT, could barely run the thing at acceptable frame rates. Hmm. The shocking right. change was when I, when I upgraded to an Athlon 64, suddenly that game ran like butter, just absolutely smooth. The Pentium 4 was the weakness, which yeah. is funny because when you start up MIST-5, one of the things you're presented with runs best on Intel. <laughs> <laughs> Not so. <laughs> I think the the traditional problem Cyan has always had is with their netcode, and uh, we yeah. saw this with the lag in the city and the cone lag. And, uh, I mean, the minute they pulled that netcode out and uh, went to the MIST-5 Plasma 2.5 engine, it really, really was an improvement. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to make a point. I made I posted in the forums about how I really don't want to play through the Uru Ages again, even though I want to see some of the sites. I just don't feel like beating it all over again, essentially. Mm-hmm. And one of the points I was going to make is that Uru, even if you assume it's an MMO, it's still horribly empty. There's just mm-hmm. not a lot to do. And that's one of the places where other MMOs, and the only, the only two that I've experienced are Guild Wars and uh, World of Warcraft. I haven't tried any others beside those. Uh, World of Warcraft, there's stuff to do and people to run into everywhere you go. And obviously, it gets laggier when you're in the vicinity of a lot of people in a town or whatever. Mm. But um, 
it, you don't have to move into an instance to get away from the people and the lag. And I think that's one thing that I think, thinking pie in the sky, one thing that Cyan really was, was aiming in the wrong spot. I think that Uru would have been much better if they could have achieved the massive multiplayer anywhere you go, anyone could be there kind of concept. Mm. It would require the ages be written more so that like the achievements are more personal and less global and less persistent. Yeah. But on the flip side, the social aspect would really have lended a lot to that game instead of like having everyone clustered in the city or the neighborhoods, you know, where if you want to talk to somebody, you had to go there. If you wanted to play the game, you had to be by yourself or with one or two other choice people. I, I kind of like that. I can randomly run into, like, uh, just the other night, um, just last night, actually, I, I beat this boss. I came up and I helped two Hordes who I can't talk to in World of Warcraft because you have one, you have the Alliance side and you have the Horde side. And they can't talk to each other because they're opposing mm-hmm. factions. And I can't heal them or buff them up. But we can attack the same creatures and kill them. And so mm-hmm. we killed this boss and they acknowledged that I helped them. And they waited around for him to respawn, and they helped me kill him, so I got the uh, I received the end of the quest as well. Huh. And that's the kind of stuff, like, you can just wander around and have and happen upon a little group and just do something. Whereas in Uru, you had to kind of, it felt kind of forced. But this is because of their conceptualization of Uru back when MMOs really weren't that big. Yeah, you know? well, it kind of feels hybrid, you know. In some ways, it feels more similar to Guild Wars style of hubs and then you get together with people and move out but on the other hand you have these ages and places where everyone gets together and it gets kind of muddled yeah and the ages where people can cluster are ages where you really can't do anything serious except maybe receive a link to someplace else yeah i think a lot of it boils down to the fact that as you said uru live was conceived at a time when the social web as we know today was not even around uh, remotely um it was very much web 1.0 and today we expect all of our online interactions to have a very very large social element and to cyan they looked at their formula that it worked they had done a game where you arrive on an island and just look around randomly, and they've done an improvement on that in, in Riven. And so they thought, okay, well, we put some people together in this space, and they'll like it just as much as they always have. And we know from social studies now, years on, that that's, that's not the case. People want to get together, and they want to socialize when they're together. There's a much lower chance of wanting to cooperatively work on a puzzle than there is of just sitting around and chatting. And we've seen that throughout until Uru and, and Mist on, Online, Uru Live. So I think, <laughs> like you say, the Cyan... Out with the crack cocaine factor, where you've got something that you just want to keep doing. Cyan tried with the, the whole pellet thing, but there was no way around it. Like It didn't happen, just just like with the, the Great no. Zero calibration. It didn't happen until they flipped the switch. It didn't matter what we did. Yeah, that right. the problem there was there was no <clears throat> feedback, no reward. <laughs> the great thing... And it just ends up feeling perhaps, artificial. Right. Yeah, added to games these days that really is going to um, to boost things, and it's a surprising thing that, that shocks me that people enjoy it. But I I know I'm I myself enjoy it. I mean I'm I'm not like a, I'm not huge on it, but it's it's just one of the things that adds to the game is achievements. That's one of the things mm-hmm. they just added to Warcraft with this latest patch. Um, they they have them in Xbox games. I think PlayStation's mm-hmm. adding it to them. Pretty much all games, Steam games, the Valve games are adding it. Yeah, and it's pretty much like achievements for doing things that maybe you would do normally in the game, maybe you wouldn't do normally. One of the games I have on the Xbox is Crackdown, and I climbed up to the tallest building and jumped off into the water. I was going to do it anyway. Turns out it's an achievement. <laughs> it was called Base Brilliant. So, like, just just to have them, like, acknowledge that, you know, even though you're weird and quirky, we knew you, we knew you were going to do that. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
So like they should have had a had a um, you know a getting on top of the tent achievement or something. Oh, that would have been interesting. Right. Like you, you nosy little effer. You know, we knew you'd do this, so here's your achievement. Like, just little things like that would have really added a lot more to to the uh, sustainability and enjoyability of the game, I think. Yeah. And this is all hindsight, because this is just a recent development meet, just recent, like, as in, like, this year. It's not mm-hmm. been a, a huge thing over, over the years. But it's something that Blizzard was able to add through a patch to World of Warcraft, so that's the kind of modability I think Cyan needed for Uru. They need to be able to do that kind of stuff on the fly, and they just, in the end, didn't have the staff or the capability. Yeah, but then again, you've got to look at the profitability of those two companies. I mean, Cyan had a negative profit- profitability during Mist Online Uru Live, and, and Blizzard is just ridiculously wealthy. But again, Blizzard—they didn't like turn into like uh, the great MMO overnight. They learned the lessons yeah. of previous MMOs, and just like everyone else, they went through the tough phase where it didn't—it wasn't making money, even though they had subscribers. Yeah, because but there's a small difference yep. there. Blizzard when they were doing it, was on the top of their game. Well, then look at, like, uh, Team Fortress. Team Fortress is not taking in any additional money aside from the initial purchase, and still they have achievements. Mm. Crackdown, to me, it, it is an online game, but I only play the offline portion, and it has achievements, and again, no further money is being paid unless you're paying for Xbox Live. So it's it's being done in other phases where there isn't actually an income occurring. So it... it it's it's got some appeal. Gamers like it. It it would be a worthwhile thing to add. It if, would be. You know, still talking development. But the fact is, I'm not so sure it'd be worthwhile to add to the current Uru just for the simple fact that I'm not so sure you can develop on the Uru code base very easily anymore at all. I think it's also a mindset problem at Cyan. When you look at Rand Miller's recent comments at the Austin Developers Conference, I think it was, where he just speaks about the fact that Uru is not a treadmill. They're not trying to build a treadmill where there's tons of non-playing characters and and just random little things to keep interested. They're really trying to build this immersive world, kind of like something like Second Life is doing with their open platform for, I think it's called Open Simulator, where you can really use open source tools to build your own uh, interaction with their grids, as they call them. I think Rand Miller had that vision for a, a much more open... Uh, world where the, the explorers really contribute to to what happens, but unfortunately during the game tap era of Uru, it just felt so artificial, and I think that stemmed from the way that things were done in episodes. I mean, I didn't go yeah. near the cavern between <clears throat> episodes, and I think looking back, that was a flaw because people forget when the episodes are, um, or they or they just lose interest in them, and their numbers start collapsing. And well, episodes game obviously, obviously just needed to pull out. They should have come out weekly. I mean that that was Correct. the end of that and development is too difficult for that because it's they're they're they had aims so high with the kind of quality they wanted to achieve they could not possibly turn that out at the rate necessary to draw the subscribers to continue interest yeah the the problem is looking at things like uh, World of Warcraft, the reason it runs so butter smooth is because it is so simple <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's not unappealing. It's, it, it, um, another game, Beyond Good and Evil, is a similar graphical uh, mm. inspiration. Uh, low polygon counts, uh, mid-level texture quality that that suggests detail the surfaces polygons don't, and yeah. that's enough to make it enjoyable. And but again, Beyond Good and Evil had kind of a cult following, as does Uru. But if they could pick the best of the two, they could maybe get somewhere closer to. I won't say World of Warcraft, but maybe more of a Guild War level of interest. Yeah, I think the public has spoken that they want violence in their games, and it doesn't have to be 
blood curdling Silent Hill, whatever. But it's there's no other way. Like there's there's people need a constant thing to do, and if squashing monsters is it, that's what that's the people have spoken on mass. Well, I'm not so sure that they necessarily are after the violence as much as something just to keep doing. <laughs> I mean, there are other yeah, types of games that succeed very well today. It's just that's one of the easiest ways to keep people busy. And, of course, you know, monsters must die. I mean, they're, they're, that's a given fact. Growing up, one of the most exciting games I ever played was something like King's Quest or Space Quest. Oh, Space yes, Quest. I mean, King's Quest. The gra- the graphics were horrendously bad, certainly in games like Peace Quest and the early Space Quests, but there was such depth to the story and such, um, such potential for a cult following and the effort these developers put into the games because they didn't have perhaps the graphical ability in those days was so much greater than today. The games that they just churn out with these amazing graphics but storylines not really matching up and certainly not um, yeah. depth of, of thought. And I think that's the trap Cyan is... is trapped in. They, they're trying to provide this game with such insanely awesome depth but at the same time trying to provide that amazing graphical experience and it seems like those two concepts are just at loggerheads with each other constantly in, in the industry. Yeah. Probably because they're trying to keep them both integrated very well which takes a lot of time and consideration that it's kind of like um, George Lucas uh, talked to I think uh, Francis Ford Coppola and he was talking about how the, uh, the industry reviewers were talking about how simplistic Star Wars was. And uh, Francis Ford Coppola said to him, he said, you know, don't mind them. Like, they have no idea how much work it takes to make it that simple. <laughs> you know, just, true. Just, throwing, just throwing the elements up there would actually, just in and of themselves, make for a complex storyline that's hard to follow. And, you know, to, to boil it down to exactly what we got... It, it takes effort because of what he was aiming for for his audience. Whether or not that was, you know, apropos is, you know, a discussion for another time. Yeah. But the, I think that's where Cyan got trapped is it's so much work to how is this piece going to fit with this piece and why are we doing this and why are we doing that? And we still have, we, we have all kinds of unanswered questions. Like, what was the point of the pods? There obviously was a point. Why didn't we get there? Mm. You know, yeah. the point was probably more than the portals because we had a map that showed there was all kinds of pods. So, like, all this stuff that, just like when the originally, uh, when Prologue ended and we just had the single-player game, game i was kind of uh bemoaning all these doors all these places in the city that that we could never go through never saw where they led or what they planned for them to leave you know and obviously plans changed a little bit over time but there were still all kinds of intentions and thoughts that just never came to fruition you kind of wish you could see on the other side of that that uh whiteboard to see what else they had planned at least yeah that's true you know all the what ifs what if we could have gone through that door be nice if it if in the very least if Uru gets canned, and, and like there's simply it's just it's not going anywhere. We're, it's never going to happen. If Cyan would at least sit down and tell us some of the the, the grand visions they had left for it, you know, some yes, of the things that they, they wanted yeah. to do. I mean, maybe not what they thought was realistically going to happen, but what they originally wanted to happen. This is how it was all going to play out. This is what we we're going to do. And that would be really interesting. That'd be a funny. Yeah, way I, to I'd think. like to know that because I, I'd really I really hope that there is a master plan because the floundering that Cyan seemed to go through last year. Uh, with Mr. Online Uru Live was just disappointing on so many levels. I just, I never felt that cohesive uh, storyline connection that you got in the earlier sort of Cyan experience. Yeah. I mean, Prologue was fairly story driven and looked cohesive. Yeah. When you compare it with Mr. Online Uru Live, you see <laughs> a lot less 
It, it was like the story really didn't matter, except for every once in a I while. I saw Prolex, I never experienced that part. But I have a little scandalous thought on what happened and why. Um, you recall that uh, Robin Miller uh, parted ways with Rand Miller shortly after Riven. Yeah. And no one in the community discovered if there was any kind of like conflict there. But I'm going to guess there was. I'm going to guess that there actually was maybe not like a things were being thrown kind of conflict, but there is a Brian Miller saying, we're going real time 3D. This is, you know, we're, we're doing MMO. This is the time to do it. And maybe a certain other creative focus in there, like the idea of this single solitary adventure kind of thing. And I think when that split happened, some of the greatness that made the first two games left with it. That's my yes, theory. That's quite likely. Is what what have they, done, have they done since then? They've done Real Mist, which is just rehashing Mist in the 3D world, and it it does have some flaws, not the least of which is it tends to crash on any operating system. Mist Five, which is graphically very impressive, but as a as a start to finish story, leaves it a little wanting. So those two and Uru are Cyan's contributions since that time, and nothing really seems to be quite up to the Mist and Riven standard. Yeah, it seems you, like go ahead. One of the things that they said that really made Riven have an edgier look to it that that it would not have had otherwise was um, I can't remember the guy's name the the artist that they came in, they got in from Disney who used to work on Aladdin. Can't remember mm. his name. Ooh, um, By the way, he 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 parted ways after Riven as well, but he came in with Riven. And Riven has kind of a different style, not the not the romantic style that Mist had, and I think that really took the uh, the the Mist universe, the genre, into a new direction that it had never seen before. And mm-hmm. to grow beyond that, the creative ability like that, and the creative ability that made that left. Yeah. So. Well, you could see the uh, general direction of the story changed after Riven. Before, you know, from Mist through Riven, it had been. Fairly a fantasy-focused, you know, old science fiction yes. fantasy story. After that, it starts shifting on the Cyan games over to a much more mystical feel. Rather, well, than as I said, that, I think that was that was something they needed to do. Like, um, if that one fellow who uh, posted on the, uh, I don't know if it was the the DRC forums or the Mist Online forums. It probably wasn't the Mist Online forums. He would have been moderated. <laughs> probably the uh, UO forums or the DRC forums. Uh-huh. Uh, he said that when he was a part of the early beta of Uru, Yisha was not a part of the picture. Hmm. And I think Yisha was the magical stopgap to make some of the MMO conventions of the Miss Universe work. Because otherwise, if you fall off of something, what happens? Otherwise, everything, everything had to have visible walls so you couldn't go here or there, which is Guild Wars solution, which can be annoying. If, if you recall, Anthony, you're walking up a hill. Oh, wait a minute. I don't, I'm not walking up a hill. I'm stuck on an invisible wall. Yeah. Because apparently <laughs> this part of the ramp you walked on. Um, so there is that or the, the Relto book solution. But wait a minute. Relto books can't work because you'd always leave the book behind. You always need to get another book. So you would need to have this huge stack of Relto books in Relto. <laughs> <laughs> I like. <laughs> or we have to have this magical link thing that heretofore had mm. never been done. So I think what they did is they created Yisha and her ability to get around some of the limitations the, the Miss storyline had in regard to MMOs. That's, That's true. That's theory. quite probably what happened. Yeah, it's pretty clear they had to make a fair number of leaps from their own sort of based canon that they had established with Mist and Riven. And I think that's disappointing because the games that got them such popularity and, and fame were Mist and Riven. 
and uh, you definitely, as you say, sense a, a change in direction after some of those Riven engineers left. By the way, the person mm-hmm. you're thinking of is Richard Richard van der Vender. Yes, yes, Richard van der Wind. Um, what I find interesting... So you looked it up, didn't you? <laughs> I, I, I'm the Wikipedia man. What I find interesting is you, I wonder how bad things were at GameTap during Mr. Online Uri Live. We've seen the sale of GameTap to... I can't remember the company, but GameTap seems to be dissolving as far as Turner's is concerned. And I wonder to what degree things fell apart in GameTap's business as much as they did for Cyan. Because just like it's very unusual. Kate walked away. We thought that was kind of prophetic. Just like uh, when the uh, the original prologue closed, they used that mm-hmm. storyline, you know, somebody was killed so we can't continue, therefore close the cavern. Mm-hmm. Which is right. the storyline I think they carried over to the single player. So yeah. you can't help but see that as being, you know, metaphoric. So maybe mm. it was right around that time when Kate started, you know, getting really squirrely that mm. things were really starting to look, to look bad there. Just a guess. I think it's pretty clear that something went wrong in the original plan because a publisher very seldom will only give a, an MMO 12 months to prove itself. There's usually mm-hmm. a 24-month period because MMOs are not profitable for at least 36 months. Um, yeah. So something must have gone pretty poorly and they realized that a season two was just not going to be successful from a business point of view. And I don't mean from a a profitability point of view, but I literally don't think GameTap was turning a profit at all. They had grabbed Uru as a lost leader type thing anyways. They understood, at least for a while, it wasn't going to make money. The main thing was, Mm -hmm. hey, we have an MMO. We have an MMO, and we have the Mist MMO. Remember Mist? And so maybe they thought maybe with their marketing and their reach that they would be able to increase Mist's appeal. But I think the end of the, the line is that Mist is an adventure game, known to be an adventure game, not known for having people around. And people are thinking, how does that work in an MMO? And just that much doubt might have been enough to stop you from going there. But then yeah. if you did go on, you had the terribly broken thing we ended up having anyway, which would have filled in the rest of the picture and made people stop at that point. Plenty of people, plenty of stalwarts in the community left because Mule just wasn't up to snuff. Mm. And that wasn't for lack of trying, I'm sure. It's true. But for a long time, up until the episodic period, you know, Mist Online was regularly their top played game. It's only once it went episodic that really started losing population. I think we all lived in the hope of, of something else developing and I think it was around about May when they went episodic and, and launched Scars. Um, we'd all been waiting for these new sections of uh, Agura to open up yeah. and these new ages to start popping up, and it just sort of didn't happen. <laughs> <clears throat> so, <clears throat> with reference to what we've spoken about this evening, where does that leave us? Okay, we have a Mist movie coming out potentially in the next uh, one to ten years. Uh, we have I Mist, which I imagine should ship before Christmas. Um, yeah. More is suspended indefinitely, so that's that's kind of a moot point. And uh, we've kind of gone around in circles about how Uru might have been better, but the fact is we can't change it now. So where does that leave us as the cavern today and the Uru community at large? Do we close up shop until something more interesting happens or weather the storm? Good question. I mean, the community's weathered the storm before, but you can only do it so often. Yeah, that's, right. like I said, you can only, you'll only dip into that, that well of good intentions so much and then the well is dry. I think the answer is going to be whether we want to or not, that the community is going to move on in one shape or another. Uh, if you watch the forums religiously, as I've kind of been trying to do lately, you notice a definite downtrend in interest and post count. So the community yeah. is, is just drifting away from mist in one shape or another, and there's really not enough mist stuff to keep us interested in mist. So right. my suggestion has been, 
and this, this, the staff has backed me up with a vote, that we diversify into the things that we as Miss and Uru gamers are interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is going to be, um, could be technology, could be, could be games, other forms of entertainment. I think mainly the games and online communities are going to be things that are going to make it easiest to bind the community. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm thinking we should stick with. But that, that won't leave, leave out the potential to debate uh, Anthony's fear of Apple and other things like that. Oh, great. I must tell you that I took a trip down into Second Life for the first time uh, uh-huh. yesterday, day before yesterday, and it was a strange experience. I mean, you go into this massively low poly count uh, sort of area, oh. <laughs> and coming from a, an Uru world where I've, I've used very few low poly games it was pretty scary to see these mm-hmm. poorly rendered things popping up as, as the game slowly loaded over my south african dsl connection so i'm going to find it hard to find a replacement for uru to be honest they definitely exist and there's there's plenty of other things out there but there's a stickiness to uru which i think a lot of the community still desire a, a, a comparable game. I don't think we're ever going to see a full-blown Uru Live again. I don't think more will ever come to fruition. And to be honest, I think they should just release the source code to the Until Uru codebase from 2004 and be done with it. I think Sire needs to wipe their hands off this. They've they've got their successful testing uh, third-party testing business, which may or may not uh, lead to uh, money for further missed projects. But at this stage, as Janethis has suggested on numerous occasions, it's probably time to put Uru to bed from a commercial point of view. Yeah, I could well, agree with that. I, I just don't know if they're ever going to be willing to release the source code. That would be something I'd love because you could redo everything. The community has the time to do it. But As I yeah. pointed out behind the scenes, they're probably under restrictions, legal right. legality-wise, that prevent them from doing that. Yeah. The thing I, I like to point out that I think that makes... I, I'm going to sound like a, a broken record, but the thing that makes World of Warcraft so sticky in the way that you're referring to Uru, is that it offers many different things to many different people. There are days after you, after you level to a certain point, you can actually just go back and explore the world and, and find nooks and crannies that you didn't previously know were there. Or in some cases, if you're desperate to level and you just can't, there must be something else, you start searching and you find all kinds of nooks and crannies that you heretofore had not seen before. There's many, many different ways to travel, dress, battle, many different venues to battle, different places to go. And that's the kind of thing that I think that really weakened Uru is that they were a one-trick pony. They were adventure-made MMO, exploring and solving puzzles with a bit of a right. social aspect, on it, yeah. which is a creation of the communities, not really of Siam's. Because if they mm. really wanted to make um, socializing more easy, we, we would have things like um, like the, the gallery would be a lot more, like that uh, balcony at the top of the gallery would have been yes. more, would be easier for people to see so you could have like, speakers there the voice chat would have worked a lot smoother but in their in their defense voice chat is really clunky just about anywhere any yeah. game does it it's always very clunky mm. so to me my, my choice mmo is world of warcraft because it, it just keeps giving more and while i did enjoy guild wars initially because of the, the lack of the uh, monthly fee um i feel like i hit the ceiling a little too fast in guild wars um although i know anthony has just flushed that thing out that poor puppy he's done it all i yeah, I mean, I've played it through to the point where I have over was almost I have almost eight hundred hours on that game. <laughs> I, I have almost that much into World of Warcraft, and it's just done like an hour or two a night, a uh, few nights a week. It's it's amazing how quickly it adds up. Yeah. But friend Dan, to this day, 
lives and breathes Guild Wars PvP. See, yeah, uh, PvP's not my thing. Even though initially he he was poo-pooing, he wouldn't do it. So like it's all maybe maybe what the community as a whole needs to go through is some exploration of other online worlds and other environments and maybe a little give it a second, like let your mind open up to a different possibility because maybe there's something that you yeah. to this point not liked or didn't think you would like, and then after you play it you do. Yeah. This has been the this has been a big thing with me. Like when I first played No One Lives Forever, it was like the last game demo I had. I was not in the mood to play it. I was not in the in the mood for an Austin Powers type of spy shooter game. And then I played the demo, and I I re- resolved I was not going to get this game until I got a new computer because I was getting close at that point in time. And I must have played that demo through hundreds of times. It was so, and I was so glad the game was in. When you experienced the, the demo levels in the game, I was so glad they were different. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't feel like they're doing the same damn thing again. Uh, but so, in a lot of cases, if you just give something a try, maybe there's actually a little bit more out there that you didn't know. And yeah. I cannot recommend World of Warcraft enough. It's it's so huge. There's so much to do. Even if you only go with the core game, there's still a huge amount of, of gameplay there. It's ten days for free if you want to give it a whirl. Yeah, and I don't. Is there? There used to be um, trials for Guild Wars. I don't know if they still have them. Uh, the game will come with trials, but they cut off doing individual trials due to the whole issue of uh, bots. You know, yeah, I, I hooked you on Guild Wars with Nightfall with that weekend trial they yep. had, and then you got all the other games, and you've far long since surpassed what I've done in Guild Wars. It's um, true. <laughs> Miles, Miles, you have no time to speak of, so I'm not even going to try to hook you. <laughs> but, you know, the thing that attracted me to many games either is the depth of, you know, intellectual challenge. That's why I like my turn-based strategy or something like the old adventure games or the storyline, you know. Mm. There's, in World of Warcraft, I think the, the main thing is the, the graphics, the grinding, and the world. The story, while it is there... It's the background. It, it, it feels a little too tacked on because, yeah. you know, it, you're like the 600 and something thousandth person to attempt to kill this big boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you, you are not the first and you probably never will be. Um, and I'm sure as soon as Wrath of Lich King comes out, there will be this race of people trying to get up to level 80 to the point like the game's spawn limitations are going to, like, people are going to be standing there in huge parties just waiting, popping <laughs> their finger. I don't so doubt I, that. As soon as, as soon as it comes out, I will not be in a rush to get it. But, uh, on the on the flip side, though, there's always something to do. Yeah, and that's right now they're having a, a Halloween thing. I don't know if it'll be going by the by the time the podcast comes out, but Guild Wars will also have a holiday thing, and I love the little special. Yeah, here's something fun just to do. They have a bombing run you get to do that you can just like you know take down this many of this this and this and this amount of time. It's just something fun you can do. Yeah, that's... of course, bombing is violent, and a lot of communities anti-violence, and, which I understand, but I'm not. <laughs> well, I wonder how many of the, I wonder how many players came to Mist and, and Uru through this sort of movement away from violent games. And, and Ryan Miller's been pretty explicit about um, his distaste for violent games. So there's certainly members of the community that'll pick up any online game and just play it. Um, and you guys are prime examples of that. And then I think there's a portion of the community which is very much Mist Uru is the only game we ever play, and it's certainly the only game we're going to play online. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next year, two years, with it looking unlikely it's up that it's going to be out. You can either hold out for the, the tiny, slim pickings of adventure games there are out there, and a lot of them are violence-based. I mean, even if you're not committing violence, you're investigating violence or 
witness the violence. I mean, it, it's it's there, or you're you're mostly out. You're stuck to to other um, casual games like Bejeweled or Puzzle <laughs> Quest right. or whatever things that really don't do anything close to the stuff that uh, that, Ur- that Mist did. One of the things yeah. I was thinking as I was playing uh, Crisis the other day is that wow, this game gets really slow when there's a lot going out on the screen, but that's the time when it really needs to not be getting slow. <laughs> then I thought, you know, this engine would be lovely. This world would be great for exploration. This amount of detail, this just lends itself to an exploration type of game. And yeah. it's it's too bad that I'm sure Cyan could not afford the Crytek engine. No. <laughs> not so much. Because they could re- I mean, they have multiplayer thing in the Crytek engine, so it's possible. So there's a it has an established net code base. I mean, it's everything they need would be there if they could afford it and develop with it. Yeah, that's but true. On the flip side, have you ever seen the uh, Vampire Masquerade um, RPG game? It, it was based on the Valve Source engine, mm-hmm. and well, it it had some flaws. It was a terrible implementation, which shows you sometimes only the person or only the company that develops the engine can actually make it sing. That's true. Right. So, I mean, there's been some debate over whether anyone but uh, Unreal can make... Epic. Yeah, Epic. The people who make Unreal can make that engine work. Well, you see other attempts with it. I mean, back in the days of the Unreal 2 engine, or was the Unreal 1 engine, that all these games were based off of. So many games made it work. Max Payne, Splinter Cell. Everywhere you turned, someone was using the Unreal engine. So it's it's not impossible. And I think if um, Cyan, around the time that they switched from the 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 early testing of Plasma to the, the version we got in Uru, if they had grabbed the Unreal Engine at that time, I bet you they would right. have done a lot better. The net code would have been better, the graphics would have been better, it would have been smoother overall. So it, there's a lot of it. Could have been, would have been, should have been. Yeah. Which all amounts to, at, at this point in the game, we just need to find other alternatives. And I think mm. that is the solution or the direction we should go in. Yeah. That's my thought. <laughs> Well, I'll agree with you on there are many you know, points things could have gone differently, and if they had, might have gone better, but nothing we can do about it today. And the one nice thing about Guild Wars, for those who might be interested, is that no matter where you are in Guild Wars, you can find whoever else you're looking for, and you two can meet up. That's true. That is the one weakness of World of Warcraft. If you want to meet up with somebody else and you didn't happen to jump onto their realm, too bad. You have to pay for a transfer to get to another <laughs> realm you want to join. Yeah, they have to pay. That's the one weakness there. And the realms are time zone based, which means that the day night cycle that the game does and the weather movements are specific to where you are located. So I could be in a realm getting rain and then Miles could be in a realm getting sunshine with no clouds. So you see, that bothers my way of thinking. Like, I really enjoyed the fact that Uru was persistent across every experience. I mean, I I hated the fact in Prologue that there were three different shards with different uh, sort of things going on, and I enjoyed the fact in Mist Online Uri Live that it was just one uh, sort of universal instance. But I understand scaling that out does not work well with a couple of million players. That's true. And the reason they can do that with Guild Wars is it's instanced. You know, you have someone on this thing, and that can be run on this server, and so on. And they didn't really think of that that much with uh, Uru at the time. Even though, technically, if you look at it, it is possible. One of the places that we're likely to meet up later in the uh, the MMO experience is going to be Star Trek Online. (laughs) Signed signed up yesterday. I did. (laughs) I signed up a month or two ago. (laughs) So, uh, 
if uh, if that ends up being as good as I hope it is, yes, I might actually if it's a, if it's a monthly fee thing, I might shift from World of Warcraft to that one. But yes. it all depends. Yes, yeah, but it's a given. There's going to be violence in that one as well. But with Star Trek, if they follow the Star Trek uh, theme, there'll probably be a lot of exploration as well. Yes. Based on is the there a release date on that? No, really. They've said they'll release when they release. Ah, uh, one I, of I, thought, I thought it was 09. <laughs> well, Sometime in 09. <laughs> they like said the, they gave uh, this is the latest will release date, but we're not sure when we're going to. <laughs> and uh, it's still a ways away. Well, I think that's where we'll wrap up here. Uh, for TCT Talk, this has been Anthony, Miles, and Janathus signing off. This is Moog for The Cavern Today, Topside. Well, I finally did two things about which I've been thinking for some time. One, I canceled my GameTap subscription this morning. I wasn't among the crowd of Uruwites who jumped ship when Mist Online was canceled. There were still some games on there that I enjoyed playing, Sam and Max in particular. But once the freelance police wrapped up their second season, I found myself spending less and less time on GameTap. So... With my renewal coming due in December, I canceled, but not without adding an apology and a nice note to the folks at GameTap. I'm still appreciative of the chance they gave Uru. And that brings up the other point. I've recently joined Second Life. I was hesitant to join the SL crowd for a long time, as I'm not really into the sort of atmosphere and lifestyles it seemed to promote, but the occasional Uru forum postings mentioning events in SL kept nudging at me until I decided to give it a shot. And so, with that said, I'd like to welcome you to the first of a series of MOAG thoughts that will illustrate my experiences as a Second Life newbie and hopefully encourage more of you to join the substantial Uru community that's already there. I'll try to answer the questions you may have been asking about Second Life, basically the questions I asked myself before finally joining, and realize that as a rank newbie myself, I'll only be scratching the surface in these initial reports, and I'm sure I'll miss a lot. As I learn more, I'll relate more. 
Well, to get things started, one of my main concerns about getting into Second Life was the cost. My gaming budget is pretty limited, and I didn't want to upset my dear wife, who balances the checkbook almost daily, and knows to the nickel how much we're spending on such things as our son's college tuition. And fortunately, you can join the fun at Second Life and do plenty of stuff, all without spending a thing. This will get you access to the many worlds of Second Life, and a default avatar that you can customize to an extensive degree, even with the free options. The Avi customization menus are considerably more complicated than those in Uru, and you'll need to play around with things for a good while to figure it all out. But don't be intimidated, since it's actually a lot of fun to see what you can do. The ironic part is that once you've perfected your Avi and met other folks in Second Life, you'll realize that their Avis usually look a lot better than yours. They'll probably walk more naturally and have more lifelike gestures, too. And that's where you want to start thinking about setting up an account in Second Life so you'll have some money to buy enhancements for your Avi, such as better hair, better clothes, more realistic walking motions, you name it. At this point, I'll admit that I have yet to set up a banking account in Second Life, but I hope to do this very shortly. In fact, that's the final thing that brought about my game tab cancellation. And now the big issue, money. Yes, it costs a bit if you really want to make a splash in Second Life, but the good thing is that you can spend as much or as little as you want. You don't need to blow out your checking account to establish a presence in SL, although from the appearance of some of the areas I've visited so far, it's easy to go nuts and really live large in a virtual sort of way. And I can't let this go without putting in a plug for Supergram, whom many of you may remember from her amazing contributions to Uru. With just a bit of help, she's built an estate in Second Life that you have to see to believe. In addition to a two-story manor house, there are gardens and fountains and waterfalls. It took two visits for her to show me around the entire place. It's all very nicely done and quite beautiful to see. But she built it up over time, adding things as she thought of them. Second Life Commerce is built around their own monetary unit known as the Linden Dollar. You set up an account in Second Life by purchasing Linden Dollars using your own currency. According to Supergram, the exchange rate is, at the moment, $4.09 U.S. per 1,000 Linden Dollars. Of course, the costs for various elements in Second Life vary. You'll pay more for attractive land than for a hairstyle, for example, and I'm not far enough along to be able to report on typical costs of things, but we'll cover that in a later installment. Suffice it to say that by the next report, my Second Life Avi won't be walking with an over-caffeinated twitch. Now, for another issue that might be making some of you hesitate, the simple fact that, taken as a whole, the Second Life crowd is far different from the Uru community. This is true, and reports of unseemly behavior, griefing, nudity, and the like are not unfounded. Worry not. Once you get in with the Uru community in Second Life, you can pretty much limit your explorations to their worlds and not worry about the rabble. I assume my case is typical. Upon my first teleporting into Second Life, I found myself in a community area with several strangers. And being shy online, as well as in real life, I retreated to the other end of the island, where I experimented around with my Abby's appearance until I'd gotten it to look amazingly unlike myself. <clears throat> as mentioned earlier, Abby customization in Second Life is fun, but not without a learning curve. Uh, once I'd gotten tired of playing with my hair, I did a search for places and people that might have had anything to do with Uru. I found a couple of properties, and I teleported to each. Now, teleport is essentially the link in Second Life. And again, this was my first night in Second Life. Learning the basics of navigation is really rather easy, and the finer points can come later. It was about this time that I decided to play with fly mode. 
Yes, you can fly in Second Life, anywhere, anytime. It's fun, but I found that uh, flying to a sufficient height will allow you to fly over some of the security barriers set up by owners of private land, and my curiosity eventually found me in the private home of a couple who were quite surprised to see me. I um, managed to entertain them with some apologetic small talk until finally finding someplace else to teleport to. Oops. But having said that, I could have avoided a lot of that confusion by visiting the MOUL forums first and adding my second life name, which is Moog McMinner. You can use any first name you'd like, but you need to pick a last name from a menu of predetermined last names and added it to the long and growing list on one of uh, the MOUL threads. I did this after my first visit to Second Life, and when I returned, I was swamped with invitations to join friendship lists, to teleport to Uru-related areas, to receive note cards, newsletters, placemarks, etc. The Uru community currently in exile in Second Life is large and vibrant. I've spent some very enjoyable evenings with old friends such as Supergram and Thend, along with numerous other Uruites. They've been excellent greeters in the true Uru sense. Fend provided a cabin that I can use until I get my own land and build on it, and everyone has been very helpful and friendly and ready with advice that I can use as I settle into Second Life. So that's enough for now. Again, this report is intended to be the first of a series. I've experimented with many other things in Second Life, such as the really amazing object creation tools that you can use to build and furnish your environment, but I'm not far enough along with that yet to say anything smart about it, as if I'll ever get there, but stay tuned. And if these reports convince you to give Second Life a try, fantastic. We'll see you there. My hope is that giving you a newbie's impression of Second Life will take away the fear factor for some of you. And if you actually do join Second Life, there will be a warm welcome awaiting you. For The Cavern Today, Topside, this is Mowog signing off. today was forged in the community of Unteluru. While there was no official content, Unteluru continued to draw people in and keep them, as the quality of the community was high. However, no matter what your favorite food, color, or pastime, you can only have so much of it. The Mist Online Restoration Experiment seems a horizon too far for Cyan Worlds or the community to reach. It's a sad realization that something which we've been graciously waiting an increasingly extended period for is never going to come to be. However, this is the reality we as a community and as a podcasting crew have come to understand. After consideration, it's truly sad that the path to Uru may ultimately be a dead end reached only in the single-player expansion The Path of the Shell. After the many online Uru experiences in Prologue, Until Uru, and Mist Online Uru Live, one cannot help but feel the sheer emptiness of this offering when compared to the experience we've gained from the live versions. With that in mind, it is with a heavy heart that I announce an ending to an era, the last The Cavern Today podcast. In December 2008, the last episode of The Cavern Today will air. We are marshalling all of our efforts to send Cyan, Uru, the year 2008, and the cavern today all out with the biggest bang a podcast has ever seen. We hope you'll join us for this event. 
There will be news on our site and in our forums for fan contributions for anyone wishing to take part in this final gift for the community. For the Cavern Today Topside 4, this is Dalkin Starbine, signing off. Thank you.